For 50 years, they have not put any resources into the park, with the exception of repression. I'm Damian Bolwa, and this is Fifth Admission. That voice you just heard belongs to Michael Delacour, a longtime activist who in 1969 was one of the people credited with establishing People's Park in Berkeley. That audio clip is from a Fifth Admission episode in 2019 on the 50th anniversary of the park protests, the fatal shooting of James Rector, and the military occupation of the area that was ordered by then-Governor Ronald Reagan. All these years later, some things have changed and some things have stayed the same. Once again, we're talking about a plan to develop that iconic and symbolic block of land that's just off Telegraph Avenue for student housing. And once again, opponents, including some students, are up in arms. My guest to talk about it is Sarah Ravani. She's the Chronicle's East Bay reporter. Sarah, how are you? I'm good, Damien. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for coming on the show. It's it's a fascinating story. Tell us about the basics here. There's been a lot of development proposals over the years, including the very famous one that kicked this all off 50, 50, more than 50 years ago. Tell us about this current development proposal. So the university is facing a housing shortage. They have to build um, 8,800 new beds for undergraduate and graduate students. And they have several plots of land that they're proposing building on, and one of them is People's Park. Um, so they're looking at People's Park to do a store, a, a building that could reach up to 17 stories, um, a separate building for supportive housing for the homeless, and um, some recreational area, and then a memorial for, you know, for the history of People's Park. Okay, so that's a, a fairly sizable building, up to 17 stories. We don't know exactly what the plans will be. It's obviously a choice location a few blocks from campus. Tell us about the larger story around housing. Berkeley is really squeezed, and, and you said this is not going to address all of the need they have for students? No, it's not, but it takes them a little bit closer. City officials have said that, you know, UC Berkeley needs to do its part in addressing the housing crisis. Um, there's a housing crisis in the Bay Area. It also hits Berkeley. So, um, you know, I spoke with the mayor of Berkeley just this week and he was saying, you know, they have students that are couch surfing, that live in RVs, that live on the streets. The university needs to step it up. And this is kind of the university saying, okay, well, we're going to try to do that. All right. And obviously the students, as they push further and further into Berkeley, it's, it's a very unaffordable city yep. as we know. Okay. So Sarah, you've been spending time at the park. There is still a lot of tension there about this site, which is very beloved. It's a haven for homeless people. It, it has this history. Uh, tell us about uh, going over there. Tell us about who you talked to. What does it look like as this debate's going on? So it's so interesting. You know, I've seen um, our past coverage on People's Park, but I had never reported on it myself before. So I was kind of coming in, um, you know, very fresh faced and I get to the park and you see, you know, about a dozen or less, you know, homeless people kind of just hanging out. Um, a group of them were sitting outside of a tent, drinking beer and just kind of listening to music. Um, and then in a s separate area, there's a couple more. And then while I was talking to them, you know, I saw students with Cal shirts come up one by one, handing them masks, uh, food, supplies, like whatever you can think of. And then on the other end of the park, um, interestingly enough, there was about a dozen or so UC Berkeley students that have 
been occupying it since last week in protest of the university's development. So they had, you know, hammocks set up, tents set up. They were all kind of sitting in a circle and they planned to stay there. They said for, you know, they didn't have a, they didn't have an end date in mind. Okay. They don't want the development. Why not? They don't trust the university's intentions. They think that, which is very reminiscent of, you know, back in 69, um, that mistrust of the, you know, the university. But they they want the park to stay as it is. Like you said, Damien, it's been a haven for the homeless. They want the university to engage with the people that are currently living at the park about what they want and what they need. They want more resources for the homeless there, but they think that, the park, because of its history, should stay as it is. All right. Well, let's take a little bit of a look back at that that history. Um, you know, it's it's obviously something that you or I did not live through, but very important. I know to my parents. Uh, <laughs> I think I told you. Um, you know what what do we need to know about 1969 that's that's relevant to the debate today? So when I was you know reporting this story, um, I, I spoke with several people, and they were all. Like, you have to find Michael Delacour. He is one of the founders of the park. He is the person to talk to about this. And I found him on Facebook and I sent him a message just as a long shot. And he called me right away. And he was telling me that, you know, back in 69, he was leading a lot of um, anti-Vietnam War protests in the city of Berkeley. And for a while, he was organizing the protests um, in front of City Hall. There's a park in front of City Hall. He was holding them there, but then he got blocked from going there from, by police. So he was heading home one day and he was standing outside of Bongo Burger, which is this local burger joint in Berkeley. And he looked up from, from, you know, up the street and saw, you know, that people's, people's park and people's park, you know, that property was once, you know, had brown shingled homes for professors and other people. Um, you know, their university wanted them out. They refused to sell. And then in 1967, the regents used eminent domain to force them out. The university ended up bulldozing the homes and they wanted to build either student housing or a parking lot, but they ultimately ran out of money. So this is two years later that Delacour is standing at Bongo Burger and looking at that lot. It's kind of a junkyard. So he goes over, he puts an ad, you know, in an underground newspaper and gets people to come out to the park. They laid down sod, they built swings, um, they cleaned it up and it became, you know, people's park. Um, but a few weeks later, police threw out a group of campers that had been staying at a park and built a fence around it to keep them out. And then the next day, thousands of people stormed the park. Um, they tried to rip out the fence. Police responded with tear gas. Um, you know, one man was killed and another was blinded. And that's the day that became known as Bloody Thursday. Yeah, that was James Rector, who became sort of a, a, a martyr for the park. He was uh, standing on a roof and was shot with, uh, with I believe, a shotgun shell by a, a county sheriff's deputy. Um, still to this day is, is remembered for that. And um, but you, you talked about the tension. But even then, there was suspicion of the university and, and, and feeling like they were trying to, um, sort of cut back on, on the radicalism of, of the day and that the people in those brown shingled homes were, were representative of that and, and, and thinking that, that it was part of something larger. Um, but they were successful ultimately. 
Right. It's so interesting. When I was talking to Michael Delacour, he was saying, um, you know, he lived in that area when that happened. And he said something like, they just wanted people like me out of there. We have a clip, actually, of Michael Delacour talking about those days. Again, this is from that Fifth and Mission episode in 2019. The reason they took it away from the people that lived there, they considered them people like they called them hippies at that time that weren't, wasn't used too much. And uh, they wanted us out of the area. So they interred, I think it was 53 houses they destroyed and the, it was vacant. And then we came on the land. And I just thought that was so significant because um, now here we are, you know, 52 years later and the university installed fences in some parts of the park to do soil testing. Students turned out. Michael Delacour was there. And they ripped the fences out and took it back to Sprawl Plaza and dropped it off there. So that it's it's like a it's like a repeat of history, it seems like. All right, Sarah, let's take a break. We're gonna have more on the development of People's Park and the controversy around it when we return on Fifth and Mission. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, joined by Chronicle reporter Sarah Ravani. We're talking about a new development proposal that's stirring tension at People's Park in Berkeley. Deja vu. Sarah, I want to uh, I want to complete the sort of history that we were looking at after uh, after the the local law enforcement came in and, and the protests, the the standoffs with with students. Um, how did that end in 1969? At the time, Governor Reagan called in the National Guard. Uh, they occupied the park. Um, it result their occupation resulted in mass arrests of you know people that were attending a vigil for Rector. I think about ninety one people were arrested. Um, the military ended up staying there for seventeen days, and ultimately the governor withdrew once there was you know no more violence and no attempt to tear down the fence. All right, and then ultimately. The park remained a park. Uh, yes. I, I, I believe that the city of Berkeley ended up leasing it a, a few years later. The community built what's there. There have been, boy, there have been, uh, as you may know, uh, a lot of uh, controversies over the years about what should be built there. I myself played a little pickup basketball there as a, as a <laughs> student. Not well. Um, but so, Sarah, let's let's get back to this, uh, to the, the sort of debate at hand. Tell me about some of the people you talked to. It seemed like there were mixed feelings about the wisdom of, of this development, what it should be, whether the park needs to remain or whether the housing need is just so great. So, you know, last week when the students first occupied the park, I wrote a really short story and um, just just about the occupation. And I got some emails from people that were like, you know, I'm a, I'm, I graduated from UC Berkeley in 1965. I was there at People's Park when all of this happened. At the time, I was very against, you know, any type of development on the park. But now I recognize that there is a need for housing and I'm not so sure about it. And I just thought that was really interesting. Here are people that were protesting, you know, back in 69 against development. And today they say, well, maybe we do need it. Although everyone does seem to have a problem um, across the board with a building that will go up to 17 stories. Yeah, it's taller than than a lot of the other student housing in the area. They say that that we need it to be that tall because we're playing catch up. 
Sarah, it seems reflective of larger debates about housing in the Bay Area, where you don't always know where people are, are going to fall. What's the progressive side, you know, building housing or preserving something like People's Park? So I spoke to somebody, um, his name was Phil. He is part of Save Berkeley Neighborhoods. And it's, it's you know, he lives about eight blocks away from People's Park. And he was telling me about other, you know, developments that his organization has had an issue with in terms of wanting to preserve, um, you know, landmarks, city landmarks, you know, city history. Um, his group hasn't formally taken a position on this yet, but once again, 17 stories seems kind of like a no-go for him. Okay. Gotcha. Um, you also spoke to a fourth year PhD student, Coleman Rainey. He's one of the people occupying the park. We have some sound of him. He's talking about what students want and their concerns about the homeless in the park. I would love to engage in a community process where we reimagine what People's Park is. I think everybody can agree People's Park needs needs more resources, needs more support. Let's get some hot showers here. Let's get a bathroom. Let's even have tiny homes. Let's have a village. Let's have a community kitchen. Let's imagine what this park could be like for to serve all the people. But right now, we're really not being offered those kinds of solutions. So Sarah, you spoke to homeless people too. What do they want? They want to be left alone. They want to be at the park. They want, you know, so many of them said to me that they have built a community here. Um, I spoke to one guy, Chris Ferries, and he, so he was at the park when he was 19. He's in his fifties now. Um, and he was kind of there on and off. And then most recently he was living with his parents in Pennsylvania. But last summer he decided to come back to the park because he just got his social security check and wanted to buy his friends drinks. So they just want to be, you know, have a place where they can be with each other. Um, it's their community and they do not believe that, the supportive housing for the homeless will be will be built at all. They just think like that's not going to happen and they do not trust the university's intentions and they think the park should be left the way that it is. Okay, well it's not concrete yet. What is the process going forward for how they will decide what it looks like and and how do they get approval? So they're doing the environmental impact review right now, and the plan is to present to the UC regents uh, their designs and the plan for the space uh, this summer. If their plans are approved by the regents, they can start construction in 2022, which is next year. Okay. And if the project is approved, do you expect that, that we'll see a standoff again? I think so. I mean, students are occupying the park right now when the design hasn't yet been finalized. Nothing has been presented. No decisions have really been made and students are there holding out. So I think I think it's possible. And, and last question, Sarah, what does Michael DeLacour think of all this? Where, where does he stand? Oh, he was just, you know, he was thrilled that students are occupying the park and he thinks that the park should stay as it is, too. It's the people's park. That's what he said. Same, same slogan. Yep. All right. Sarah Ravani, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks to my guest today, Chronicle East Bay reporter, Sarah Ravani, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. <laughs>